Greetings, fellow social distancers. This is Pastor Bobby, and I'm joined here by Pastor Andrew. Pastor Nate is unavailable today, and so we're going to do our best to uh, uh, trudge on and uh, discuss our topic today. Um, Last week, uh, we uh, continued on in a series called The Cross and the Christian Life where um, we are examining in the weeks leading up to Easter the centrality of the cross. And if you thumb through pretty much any part of Scripture, what you will see is that the cross is central to our understanding of who God is and what God is doing in the world. And lest we think that what happened on the cross and and what we derive from the cross are just doctrinal and theological truths to be uh, sung about or preached about. Uh, what we are trying to do in this series is help us all to see that in the cross of Christ, we find both perspective and power for life in the real world. That the cross is perspective that the cross is power as we navigate the ins and outs of this world, as we navigate things like this pandemic and how we respond to that. Uh, The cross is where we find our power to move forward in a God-honoring way. But also the cross gives us perspective to help us see these things as God sees them and to find our place in them. And so last week, we discussed for a few minutes about the cross and the problem of evil and more specifically just the crisis that we are facing right now. And what we talked about is that evil, uh, a simple definition of evil, when things are not as they should be under the rule and reign of God, that there is a big E evil um, that is Uh, perpetrated by the enemies of God and that there are certain things that we experience here in this world, in our lives, that are derivative of that big E. So the smaller E evils that we experience on a daily basis are uh, manifestations of a larger attack on the goodness of God and the plan of God. And uh, this crisis that we are experiencing in this moment is a concentrated dose of that evil. We are experiencing it in a concentrated dose. And so last week we talked about how how we as Christ followers must respond to evil circumstances in light of the cross. And today we are going to talk about here over the next few minutes how we must respond to evil people or in the language of our passage, our text today, our enemies in light of the cross. And so we are going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, Jesus' teaching on a hillside or his sermon on the mount. And uh, Pastor Andrew, can you read verses 43 through 48 of Matthew chapter 5 for us? You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, 
and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay. So we're in a a passage here where Jesus has been, uh, in the previous sections, has been teaching and reinterpreting uh, some of the law that his listeners would have been familiar with. And so if you look through Uh, the uh, second half of Matthew chapter 5, you will see words in each one of these sections where Jesus begins by saying, you have heard it said, and then saying, but I say to you. And so in each one of these sections, what Jesus is doing is taking uh, a, a point from the Old Testament law that has been misinterpreted or misunderstood down through the centuries and Jesus is saying, actually, this is what my father means. This is what God intends for us to think about and for us to do. Um, and this is how I am reinterpreting what you have already uh, come to assume is right or been taught uh, is right. Here's what the truth actually is. And so Jesus begins his session by saying, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, nowhere in the Old Testament law does God say this, that you should just love your neighbor, but you're allowed to hate your enemy. What had happened over the years is that, um, uh, honestly, because of the the political oppression that uh, the Jews had felt, uh, most specifically in this context by the Roman Empire, um, some of their, their teachers of the law, some of their religious leaders had actually said this and actually been, been teaching this, that it's actually okay to hate these people and to wish harm on these people. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 that's, that's not what God's heart is. And I'm here to tell you how actual, what, what God actually desires and expects from you, you are to love your enemy. And so, Andrew, who are our enemies? How broadly or how narrowly should we interpret this category of our quote-unquote enemies? Yeah, this is this is a hard and important question. Uh, I think, especially for us uh, as 21st century Americans, it's I think our default response to something like this is to think, well, where where is there conflict in my life where I'm feeling uh, somebody stepping on my toes, or um, and it's generally in social media is about the extent to which we <laughs> feel uh, th- uh, threatened by outside forces. So I think it's a hard question to answer for us in particular. Um, as I've thought about this, I think it's really important to, to uh, start where Jesus starts when we try to identify who it is our enemy is, um, specifically starting in humility, starting in condescension, starting in laying down ourselves just like Jesus did when he condescended, when he came down in humility and laid himself down. I think um, that's a really important starting point is to say that uh Jesus on the cross, the enemy that he's defeating there, um, started with us, with with our sin against Jesus. We are the enemy that he's dealing with on the cross there. Um, 
so then out you know once we've kind of established that you know, there's this level playing field um, there there are really three spheres first uh, as you mentioned you know sort of the Roman uh, political situation at play in the context of this passage uh, there are political forces at play that that can oppress or can push back on or can um, can threaten us there are certainly uh, religious activities that are opposed to Jesus and then there are more personal enemies so I think there's three spheres in play yeah and you know let's be honest let's just uh, put our cards on the table here um, a lot of as you mentioned uh, where we tend to think of our enemies are in the political and personal realms um, uh, we kind of in our modern context tend to lump our political enemies uh, with also religious enemies. Um, and certainly there are, are people that are opposed um, to Jesus that may be in our lives. There are um, people that are, are actively seeking um, to undo the, the plan of God or the goodness of God, the intentions of God. Um, and, you know, in the passage before this, it's really helpful that, you know, Jesus um, is talking about retaliation against the one who is evil. And I think, you know, we were talking uh, a little bit off, off mic here that um, it's an important distinction that we have to make when we talk about the evil one um, and the person who is evil um, and the person who we can perceive to be our enemy. Um, and, you know, we don't have time to get into a lot of the nuances of that. But in Jesus's context here, when he's talking about the evil one and when he's talking about the enemy, um, more broadly speaking, uh, it's religious, political, personal enemies. And so Jesus says those those folks who are uh, actively opposed to Jesus and his church, those um, who are uh, those governments and systems who are oppressive and who are um, opposed to human flourishing as God intends it to be, and those people in our lives who seek to harm us, whether that's physically, emotionally, psychologically, we are to love these people. We are to love our enemies. And so, um, as I mentioned, the passage above uh, in verse 39, Jesus says, But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. That phrase, do not resist the one who is evil, is an interesting one. Uh, the word there for resist is often, but not always, used for specific violent resistance against someone else. And so Jesus is telling his disciples and to everyone else who is listening, don't respond to evil with violence. Instead, 
respond in goodness. So what is this non-resistance? What is this goodness in response to evil actually look like? Yeah, I'll just go back to my previous comment that it, it starts the same way Jesus starts it with uh, laying ourselves down that when we are offended or we're threatened or we're, uh, something comes up against us, our starting point ought not to be to, to perceive the threat as being against us or things that we, we own or we cherish or we love, but um, to lay that down, to start by laying that down, to start by laying ourselves down. And I think that's what enables this active nonviolent resistance is to realize that the thing that's under threat is not is not us or me or my things or my position or my influence or whatever. The thing we ought to care about being under threat is God's, the capital G, good that we talked about last week. And I think just orienting on that uh, is the starting point for this active yet nonviolent resistance, that the violence being done to us is not being done to us, but being done to God and his goodness and his truth. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, Jesus is is very clear here in this in this passage verses 38 through 42 that it's not just rejecting violence that the follower of Jesus isn't just rejecting violence in a passive way or in a way that just says um hey evil is is just there it's always going to be there i'm just not going to do anything about it i'm just going to surrender to it it's it's rejecting Violence, whether that is physical violence, whether that is verbal violence, uh, whether that is heart violence and hatred against against other people, but it's also pursuing intentional self-sacrificing action. and And Jesus is pretty broad here in in his examples that he gives. Um, he talks about physical attack or social shame. You know, someone who would who would slap you on the cheek. Um, uh, some commentators believe that that this is, Jesus is referring to kind of a backhanded slap. So it's not only physical violence, but it's something that's meant to shame or degrade that person as well. And Jesus says, listen, in the face of physical attack or physical violence, in the, in the face of just social shame and degradation, um, we don't act in violence. We don't return that violence with violence. Um, legal injustice, someone who is taking us to court, someone who's suing us, lawsuits, um, we don't respond in violence to that kind of injustice. We mentioned political oppression. Um, this uh, phrase that Jesus uses, if anyone um, uh, forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. It was common that uh, the occupying Roman soldiers in, uh, that, in, in, in Jerusalem and in the surrounding region uh, would, would see Jews and would force Jews to carry their pack for them. Um, and Jesus says, if, if you find yourself in that position where someone's just sticking it to you, where someone's putting their foot on your throat and just pressing on you, um, that you are not to respond in violence, but actually go the extra mile, actually do what, more than what is being unfairly asked of you. And then lastly, just economic hardships. 
Um, Jesus isn't talking about someone who is in real need that is that is asking you for money, but in the context here, someone who is begging you or or trying to coax you to give them money, who has some kind of evil motive. So so Jesus is being very broad here, um, and this kind of surveys uh, the extent of of our life experiences here. And so you know, a lot of times the the um, uh, objection to this teaching is, well, Jesus didn't really mean this, or or Jesus couldn't have meant that. But Andrew, when you look at this in context, it's pretty clear that Jesus is saying, hey, there is not a situation that you will face where it is okay as a follower of Jesus to respond to violence with violence. Yeah, we were talking about this off mic a little bit, and this, uh, this may... Uh come out of cycle or something here in the just where we're at in the conversation but I, I just keep thinking about the um, the brief conversation that we had about the fact that Jesus Jesus can say this with authority because the offense again the offense is not against us uh, the offense is against God the offense is against Jesus and the violence is not has not been done to us the violence has already been done to Jesus and so he's speaking from a place of authority because the the offense of the of the capital E evil is against God. The thing that really matters in this context uh, is is not how how I've been offended or how I've though though certainly we will really be offended by people and be tread on by people. Um, I think the the important uh, perspective to have here, going back to your point about the cross giving us power and perspective, is that um, Jesus is the one that has been offended and Jesus is the one that has absorbed the violence due. For that offense in his own body and so he's speaking from that place of authority that he says i i've been offended and i've absorbed the penalty for that offense therefore you ought not to respond in violence when you're offended you can respond in love and and you know let's be honest here that there are um there's there are different levels of what we're talking about here there are offenses um there are things that are um perceived slights there are um, things that fall into those categories of you know non-life-threatening encounters and experiences that we have that are still wrong that are still manifestations of of evil Uh, but Jesus also is talking about persecution here Um, and he says uh, you know uh, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you And we have to acknowledge that there is real evil in this world. And um, there is evil um, being done all over this world to God's people. There's there's evil that is done every day here in this country um, to people, um, whether that is an attack on, you know, persecution on, um, you know, our our belief in Jesus and our, our practices of following Jesus, or whether that's just a, a, a an attack on human flourishing and, and our good, um, those things are real. And there are some of us who are listening to this podcast here who have experienced that, who are experiencing that. And so Jesus says here, pray for those who persecute you. And the parallel passage in uh, Luke chapter 6, um, uh, Luke records Jesus saying, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. 
Um, and so again, this isn't just a laying down. This isn't just a passivity in the face of, of persecution and, and real evil. But this is an active love that's defined by prayer, that's defined by acts of, of kindness and, and, and goodness, uh, 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 speaking blessing, um, prayer for those who are abusing us and taking advantage of us. And so, um, you know, I can understand somebody who is in a situation where their lives feel threatened, um, where they feel super vulnerable, could read this and say, well, a lot of good that does me. And this seems weak. This seems ineffectual. But Andrew, why, why are prayers and blessings and, you know, I'll, I'll include forgiveness in this list. Why are these things such a powerful response to those who are evil? I mean, Jesus, uh, Jesus is not just giving us um, uh, some BBs here. I mean, these are powerful weapons. There's a reason why he says, you know, this is the way you are to respond to evil. But how does how does this actually overcome evil? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's it's bidirectional here. In one sense, uh, responding in prayer, responding in blessing is powerful for us in that it helps us reset our own perspective, um, and then it's powerful to the to the people that are on the receiving end of our blessing and of our prayers in the midst of their evil against us. Um, namely because it directly attacks the uh, the evil one in the ways that he operates. He operates in lies and accusations and temptations. And by responding with prayer and with faith and with blessing and with good uh, acts of goodness uh, in the face of evil, it counters the lies and the accusations and the temptations of the evil one. And so it's, it's powerful in two directions, in helping our own perspective uh, and also in the folks... Um, that we're responding to. Yeah, the cross, as we mentioned at the beginning, is both perspective and power when we face these situations. And, you know, I was just thinking about it this week that that praying for our enemies keeps our own hearts from being overcome with hatred and bitterness. You know, it's something that Jesus talked about just earlier in this passage that um, sometimes... Uh, we we face the temptation of saying, well, you know, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to do anything real to this person. I'm not going to take vengeance in a in a real uh, physical or substantial way. But we allow our hearts to be overcome with hatred and anger and malice um, and bitterness towards people who have wronged us, who have taken advantage of us, who have harmed us. But when we pray for that. Um, when we when we pray goodness uh, for these people who don't deserve it, what we're doing is actually placing ourselves in that position and saying, "Well, I don't deserve any good either." Ultimately, you know, and God in His grace has given me something that I don't deserve, and we're praying that over our enemies, over those who have persecuted us and abused us. Um, and that aligns our hearts with with God's will and what he says is good, what he says is right. Lips which bless our enemies can't at the same time curse our enemies. Hands that are busy serving and choosing to do acts of kindness towards those who have not shown kindness to us, those hands are restrained from taking revenge. 
And I think about what Paul says in, in Romans chapter 12, um, where we overcome evil with good. Um, I think he uses the phrase, you know, heap burning coals on their head, which is a which is a really interesting turn of phrase. But you know what he's what Paul is getting at here is that when we choose to act this way in response to violence, in response to evil, in response to those who are our enemies, um, that kind of response, God, we can trust that God will use that response not only for our own good, but can also use that in the lives of that of those people in the life of that other person. It can lead an evil person to repentance. It can lead an enemy towards reconciliation. Not ultimately, you know, not every time. Um, and, and we're not assured that that will be the outcome. But that is something that we, as a follower of Jesus, we need to put ourselves in a position of being an instrument of God in that situation. Our decision to love our enemies at a very basic level, breaks the chain of evil. <laughs> you know, it, it breaks this chain reaction of evil, this tit for tat. You know, you've wronged me, so I'm going to wrong you. You've committed violence against me, and I'm going to, uh, to respond in violence. And this chain reaction of evil continues throughout our world. And so when the follower of Jesus decides to love their enemy, it decreases evil in the world. It's one less act of evil that this world experiences. And as I said, it brings us in line with what God's intentions are, his intentions for good, his intentions to bless, his intentions for people to experience his kindness and have that kindness lead them to repentance. And this, this, is, a, this is a discipline to respond this way to evil it's, it's not natural for us to respond by laying ourselves down and respond by speaking blessing instead of curse or by praying for our enemies. It's a discipline to do this uh, because it's not our, our natural inclination. And in that sense, um, that is a way for us to, just like Jesus did on the cross, to absorb some of that violence. That we don't, we don't lash out in violence, but the violence is actually done to our own will, our own uh, physical bodies as we lay down our rage and our anger and we respond in a disciplined way, respond in prayer and speaking blessing. It's a way for us, just like Jesus did, to absorb that violence. So it's it's nonviolent in its outward expression, but the, the violence is really us absorbing absorbing that desire to lash out and that desire to, to hate and responding, overcoming it with the good of prayer and blessing. This command to love and to pray for our enemies is again a call by Jesus for whole person righteousness, a, a consistency of heart and behavior. If you remember back in uh, uh, verse 20 of chapter 5, Jesus says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That only loving those who love us back is a righteousness that doesn't exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Um, as you said, like it's only natural for us to do good to those who do good to us, to respond uh, in violence to those who do violence to us. Like that, those are our natural reactions. And so Jesus is saying, I expect something more. Like the, the kingdom of God 
is something deeper. It's something more than that. It's something that sets us apart, and it's it, the the ways of the kingdom are different than just the natural rhythms and the natural reactions of this world. And and that's why I appreciate uh, Paul in Romans twelve uh, in in his exhortation to the church in, in these same um, to love to love their enemies. He uses that phrase so far as it depends on you. Um, and, and I think that that's important for us is that we can't control wh- how other people will respond to our response. We can't control the outcomes. Um, and, and that shouldn't be our intention. Our intention is to follow the will of Jesus and to put ourselves in line with the heart of the Father. And so there's no exceptions here. There's no like, well, what about, what about, what about? Jesus and Paul are very clear, as far as it depends on us, we are to pursue peace. This is, this is categorical. We, we are to pursue peace with everyone. So how do we square this, though, lest we come across as being soft on evil or um, weak in our protection of those who are vulnerable in the face of evil, how do we square this command to love with abhorring evil, hating evil, and also protecting the vulnerable? Yeah, that's that's another hard question. And I'll go back to the, uh, the comment I made earlier about Jesus absorbing the violence on the cross, that it's not that responding in love or responding in resistance to evil is um, is not just or is weak. Uh, it, it does, in some sense, feel unsatisfying that there's there's undone business if I don't respond in a certain way to evil being done to me or being done to to folks around me. Um, there's something unsatisfying about that response. But if we look to the cross, Jesus was not passive towards evil on the cross. Jesus was not weak or wimpy towards evil on the cross. God's wrath was poured Mm -hmm. out because of evil on the cross, but it was poured out in the body of Jesus Christ. So justice was done in the body of Jesus Christ on the cross. Um, Evil was addressed on the cross. And so it's not, it's not passive or weak um, to respond to evil with good, to respond to evil with love, uh, in as much as we do it from the foundation of what Jesus has already done on the cross. In his book, The The Cross of Christ, John Stott writes, whenever love is sincere, as Paul says in Romans 12, it is also morally discerning. It never pretends that evil is anything else or condones it. Compromise with evil is incompatible with love. Love seeks the highest good of others and therefore hates the evil which spoils it. That's just a, it's a profound statement. And I think that that is the tension that we have to live in is that um, we never condone evil. We never call evil something that it isn't. Um, We don't. Um, 
we don't become undiscerning uh, and, and laissez-faire people in our response to evil in this world. Um, but because our, our Father seeks the highest good, and that highest good ultimately is that things uh, be as they were intended to be, life with God under the rule of God, that anything that, str that strikes against that, anything that seeks to undermine that, is something that we should hate and that we should actively, um, that we should actively combat. But the Christ followers' love should reflect the, the Father's love. Yeah, that the way in which we go about that, again, is not in violence. It's not in hatred. It's not in, um, uh, you know, sh shaming and lobbing insults at other people. But in Jesus's words in Luke 6, be merciful as your father is merciful. I mean, his words at the end of this uh, chapter 5, be perfect as your father is is perfect. I mean, that's the kind of the lines to end all lines right there. Be perfect as your father is perfect. But, but what Jesus is saying here is pursue the will and the character of your father. You know, be godly, being godly, um, so that you may be sons of your father is ultimately measured by our love for our enemies. I mean, the, our, the way in which we respond to evil, the way in which we respond to our enemies is a litmus test for how godly we are, how Christ-like we are. And we can be undergirded in that with the confidence that evil will be punished. You know, Paul says that we are to leave it to the wrath of God. You know, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So we are not to take vengeance, but we are to leave it to the wrath of God. Um, Andrew, you've talked and brought us several times through this discussion back to the cross, and, and I can't help but think of Jesus' words on the cross to those who were crucifying him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so the death of Jesus was the very basis upon which those who were crucifying him could actually be forgiven. So the violence that was done to Jesus and his willingness to endure that is what allowed those who were committing that violence to be forgiven, to be made whole, to be brought into the kingdom of God. I think about Isaiah 53 and how much... The word our is used over and over. Our, 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 our transgressions, our iniquities, our sins, our all offenses. All we like sheep in yeah. the nursery. Yeah, so it's like all of our, like Jesus bore all of this. All of the violence that, that from the Father that we deserved, Jesus took that upon himself. And last week you talked about how God's sovereignty was on full display at the cross, that the cross is victory over evil. But tell us a little bit about how God's love is also on full display at the cross. Yeah, so with regards to God's sovereignty, uh, the point I was making last week is that Jesus, Jesus came to do the will of the Father, and he only did the will of the Father. 
So if it had not been the will of God the Father to send his son to the cross, Jesus would not have gone to the cross. And the fact that he did shows that God is sovereign, even in the midst of, of things that are uncertain, or things we don't understand. We can know that God is sovereign because he did this really horrible thing, uh, that Jesus did this really horrible thing in going to the cross because it was the will of the Father. And in that, we also see God's love put on display because he sent Jesus to the cross to die in our place for our sins. Uh, again, going back to Paul, um, we, we know God's love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that we were enemies of God and God loved us in response by sending his son Jesus to bear in his own body the, the wrath that was due to us for, for our um, rebellion against God. Yeah, the, the cross is the power to love in the face of evil because the, the cross is the greatest act of, of overcoming evil with good, that the greatest act of evil turned out to be for good um, and that God overcame evil because he condemned it in Christ. He overcame evil by accepting the punishment for it himself. Um, and, and I think that, you know, as we center this discussion on the cross, um, we as people of God, as you reminded us at the very beginning of this discussion, that we have to locate ourselves in this story and, and, and see ourselves first and foremost as being uh, that we were an enemy of God, mm -hmm. um, that we were um, a, a, in rebellion against God, and that God died for us, that we killed God. Um, and, and the result of that is that we can experience forgiveness. And, and in his book, The Cost of, of Discipleship, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote that the call to follow Christ always means a call to share in the work of forgiving men their sins. Forgiveness is the Christ-like suffering, which it is the Christian's duty to bear. And as we think about, you know, loving our enemies, praying for those who persecute us, doing good, uh, blessing and not cursing, these are hard things. These are burdens to bear. These are, um, in many cases, it means continual suffering on our part to choose um, to, to forgive to choose to bless and not curse, to choose to pray, to choose to do acts of kindness towards those who are, who are doing the opposite to us is a cross that we bear, but we bear it because Jesus bore that same cross on our behalf. So as we wrap this up, let, let's talk first about, um, let's talk to, to those who may be listening who are experiencing this right now. Um, they're experiencing persecution, uh, attack, uh, abuse in a relationship, experiencing just uh, various levels of, of evil, um, and they feel vulnerable. What are their next steps? Like, how do we help people and how do we encourage people? Where, what is their way forward? Yeah, I'll just go back to the framework that you set up at the beginning, uh, namely the the perspective that we get at the cross and then the power that we get from the cross. And so starting with getting the perspective of the cross that uh, all of the evil in the world around us and done to us comes from 
the ultimate evil, which is against God himself. And so orienting ourselves that way to realize that evil comes from evil that is against God or that is opposed to God. And uh, again, just to reiterate that we, we were first enemies of God. And starting from that place of humility and that place of uh, laying ourselves down and lo- looking to get the perspective of God on the cross um, as a starting point. So for, for the folks that are currently experiencing uh, evil or oppression or violence or threat, um, you have to you have to start with the perspective of the cross, and it it doesn't um, it doesn't end there. There's also power in the cross, and so uh, when you can get that perspective, then the power then is to to respond to that with love or with goodness or with kindness. And um, I don't know if that's especially practically helpful to folks that are in you know in it right now, but. Um, that's, I think, the framework that we're talking about today is get the perspective of the cross, get the power of the cross. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, hear us saying that, you know, if you, if you are in a situation where you are experiencing violence, uh, where you are um, constantly under the threat of physical harm, pain, uh, loving your enemy doesn't mean to stay in that position. Um, you can love from a distance. You can love from a place of safety. Um, you can figure out what it means to be faithful to Jesus um, in, in, in a way um, that also is wise and discerning about where you're at. And so, um, yeah, we're not, um, we're not advocating that loving our enemies means that we purposefully put ourselves in the way of violence um, if we don't have to, if that's, if that's a, uh, uh, an, an option for us. But, um, you know, loving, loving our enemies is difficult. Um, it, is, uh, it requires a lot, and it is done in small steps. And again, we can't go through all of the stuff here in this setting, but, um, you know, those are, those are where it helps to have people involved in our lives. So our missional community groups, our discipleship groups, um, close friends, uh, those other people that know our situations and know our lives that can help us approach these things and walk in wisdom and say, what does it mean for us to love and to respond to this injustice in a way that honors Christ while at the same time being wise and discerning? But where I want to end is for our church as a whole, in these times of increased polarization, us versus them, um, social media, outrage culture, shaming, um, you know, just a, 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 a culture um, that continually is um, giving us opportunities to say, this person's my enemy, I'm doing good, this person's doing evil. What opportunities does this give us as a church in this time that we're living to say we are going to be different and we are going to respond in this way, loving our enemies and doing good to those who persecute us? What opportunities does that afford us as a church? Yeah, going going back to your point earlier uh, about really trying to get the net effect of our lives to be less, you know, contributing less evil into the world. One, one, you know, every act of kindness is one less act of evil 
that we're putting out there. I think just turning down the volume on the social media or on the uh, the ways that we engage with this cultural moment that we're not um, we're not getting sucked in. And I think especially during this quarantine phase where everybody's stuck at home and uh, you know idle hands at the devil's playground, and there's just a lot of time to uh, there's a lot of time to get sucked in just to that whole the whole broader conversation whether it's politics or it's uh, response to the to the pandemic or or whatever I think just turning the volume down not getting sucked in and looking for ways to counter the attacks of the evil one in this time whether it's lies it's accusations it's temptations to actively work against those things yeah we should always be people who are praying for those in our lives, we should always be people who are using our lips to bless instead of curse. We should always be people who are um, doing good uh, to others. And so, you know, this is these what Jesus is advocating here is that we respond to those who are our enemies and to those who are evil in the same way that we should be responding in all of life. Mm. Um, and, and to everybody that we come in contact with. And so this is an opportunity for us as a church to be people of peace, to be people who extend uh, love and forgiveness in uh, an increasingly polarized um, society, um, a church that refuses to get sucked into the quote-unquote culture wars and the things that are being argued about and bantied about um, but a church that actively seeks the good of the city, actively seeks um, the welfare and the well-being and the flourishing of people in this city, and also knowing that there may come a time when we as a church as a whole are facing um, uh, persecution, are coming face-to-face directly with evil people that are bent against destruction and against the goodness of God. But as in Paul's words, as much as it depends on us, let's be a church that um, promotes peace, that chooses to love, that does not um, cower in the face of evil, that does not try to wish away the existence of evil, that doesn't call evil something that it is not, but because we love. And because um, we love as the Father loves, that we are actively opposed to anything that would um, attack the well-being and welfare and the, and the highest good of other people. And we do that by saying we reject violence. We reject a response that would choose to hurt other people. And instead, we will choose to love and we will trust that the power of God, evident on the cross and through um the, the violence and the wrath that was done to Jesus will ultimately win out and will ultimately, um, uh, God will ultimately be the one who judges. So listen, if you have questions, if you have thoughts, um, we know that this is a nuanced thing, that there is, that there is wisdom in real life situation that needs to be talk, talked about. And so as always, you can reach out to us. Also, we are going to continue to do these podcast discussions here. We don't know what the next few weeks holds. Um, 
also have grace with us. We're, we're podcast novices. <laughs> we don't know what we're doing here. We're learning how to do these things. And so uh, some uh, this, this may be helpful for you. It may not be helpful for you. We're trying some different things. We're, we're learning how to do this better to where it is, it is more of an encouragement to you and actually helpful where we don't ramble on for almost 50 minutes here about a topic. And so next time we'll try to be a little bit more condensed. But again, thank you for listening. We hope this is helpful. We know that these are weird, wild times. We're all feeling our way in the dark here. We love you and we're praying for you and um, we're doing what we can to help guide our church in wisdom and in truth as we navigate these uh, trying times. We'll see you next time.